And as we do so, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this morning. And just a reminder that we are continuing this uh, study through the book of Ephesians, seeking to just worship God in light of the gospel he's given us, of his grace, not only to us as individuals, but as a people whom he calls his church. To be honest about how hard it is to receive the gospel individually and together, but also to talk about what it looks like to believe this stuff as we live in our everyday lives. And so uh, this week we will look at the issue of what it means to think about the relationships we have at work and even work itself, and we'll try to do that in connection with this uh, first century context as best we can of household slavery. So sort of a big task as usual, but I want to, to point out that next week we're going to really take Ephesians and kind of direct it towards this season of Christmas that we're in. And so as many of you know, what comes next in the book of Ephesians is really one of the, the most central texts in the Bible on spiritual warfare. And if you think of what Christmas is, it really is a declaration of war. It is an invasion of the kingdom of God into this world, a, an attack on the domain of darkness as Jesus is born. And so we're going to look at this, this idea of how, how Christmas really is saying this is war for the next three weeks after this. Think about how that relates to the war within our own hearts in this particular season and in our lives together. And so I just want to encourage you guys to be thinking towards that. But this morning, let's go ahead and dig into Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, out of the overflow of this good news that we've already sang, that though our sins are many, His mercy is more. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Father, we thank you this morning for the good news that our standing today is not based upon our own doing, but it's based upon the finished work of Christ. We thank you now, God, that through Jesus we can hear this great call of Scripture again, not with guilt, fear, or shame that leads us deeper into that which would bind us, but into the freedom of forgiveness and the power of the Spirit to enjoy you, to live with you, and to actually do what you've done. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me that the day of worship arrives. So let's say dad jumps out of bed, brushes his teeth, gets dressed, maybe takes a second, we're assuming the best, to reflect on God's word and pray. That might not be a reality. It may be more like a, a hurried rush just to survive. Mom gets up, or if you're single, just, just insert yourself into this. 
She goes through her morning routine. She gets ready and let's assume, super best case scenario, spends a little time in God's word. Although the reality may be just trying to get out the door. Maybe they get the kids together, get the kids ready together and them dressed, remind them to behave and to go out and be a blessing. And then they head off to worship God. Now, rhetorical question, what day do we assume this is? And where do we assume this family is going? The assumption I think many of us would make is we assume that this would have to be Sunday. And this family would have to be going to what we call church. But in this story, you would be wrong because I made the story up. This could be any day of the week. Because what the Bible teaches us is that all of our lives are worship. And that every day of the week, we get up and we are called forth into a life that is to be given to the Lord. Whether that's off to work. Whether that's off to school. Whether that is off to something that's connected with the life of the church. And as much as Sunday is important to us, and it is, we believe as a church is that Jesus has not just come to change our Sundays, but has come to change our everyday. This is what it means to be disciples who follow Jesus as Lord, who are those who are increasingly submitting all of our life to the Lordship of Christ. And yet so often we disconnect our discipleship from worship, and which leads to us disconnecting our everyday lives from worship, which if we want to be a church that talks about everyday worship, then we have to talk about our work. Whether that work takes place at our houses, or whether that work takes place out into somewhere in the world of business. Well, some of us may not want to hear this. Some of us may not want to think about this. Some of us may be rolling our eyes, either visibly right now or in our hearts some of us may be thinking well you don't know where I work you don't know who I have to work with you don't know what it's like in my house or you don't even know what it's like in this segment even of our church you just don't understand so let's just kind of air that out a little bit this morning why do we have a, such a hard time with really viewing our everyday work as worship Feel free to share. If you didn't hear Cody, it feels so mundane and can feel unimportant. And students, can this include your, your studies? Yeah. Maybe say a little more, Lauren, because I think that's really good. great if you didn't hear Lauren we can tend to just define worship as our singing or or these or an act of prayer what else why is it so hard hmm. yeah. serving two masters sometimes it feels like there's a big tension
didn't hear cats. It's just we're so busy. Right? We're just we're moving from one thing to the next, whether it being a mom, being at work, and it's like I'm just trying to survive. I, I'm hardly able to be present, much less reflect before the Lord. And so this is hard, and we just want to acknowledge that. That, that this, is, this is a part, as every week, when we look at what it means to follow Jesus, we're all on a journey here. I'm not going to give you a few steps this morning and walk out, and next week you'll come back and say, all right, I got that down. Right now all of my life is really being submitted to Jesus as Lord when I'm at worship. What's next? But what we have to see is that this is a big part in what it means to follow God. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that in the story of God, work is not bad news. We have to remember that before sin entered the world, before the event we know of as the fall happened, God had already given his people work. Work was a gift from God. When sin entered the world, when the fall happened, work was cursed. It made it hard. Harder than it was supposed to be. It was no longer a fruitful challenge, but many times it was a frustrating challenge. But what God had created in the beginning to be good, though it was frustrated, disordered, misdirected by the fall, all that God said was good has come to be redeemed by Jesus. And one day it will finally be restored. And now we live in this in-between time where we are the redeemed people of God who continue to live, though, in a present evil age, but are called to show the world a glimpse a picture on earth as it is in heaven. This is the part of the battle of following Jesus that we're called to do, is to submit our work to Jesus as Lord and to embrace our work as worship. So how do we get there through God's Word today? To embrace our work as worship. The first thing we have to do, though, is to kind of deal with the elephant in the text here. So you know the old phrase, elephant in the room, right? The big thing you're not talking about that's here. And that's this, this issue of slavery. Because this text, even in the history of our country, was used by some people to justify owning other people. And so we, just, we need to take a few minutes before we dive into to, to our contemporary application to at least acknowledge this. Because I don't think we would be doing God's word justice to just sort of say, hey, let's, let's just pretend that we're not talking here about slavery. So we have to see what is the connection, what is the comparison, what is the contrast. Let's try to be quick here and so we can talk more afterwards. First off, the comparison is that these things were quite different. In the first century, slavery was just a common thing. And it was very varied. There were many different forms of it. In the Roman Empire, it said that there were maybe 60 million slaves that constituted all areas of the workforce were included in it. Some slaves were doctors, some were teachers, some were administrators, some were highly educated and maybe even more educated in some areas than those who owned them. It was varied also in the way that there was entrance. Often slavery in this context was entered by choice. So it was a way that you could pay off a debt. It's a way that you could be trained. It was a very intense, what we might call, internship. Or sometimes that happened merely through birth into a family of someone who had already put themselves in that situation. Many people in the first century would use this as a, a way to advance their education or opportunities they wouldn't have elsewhere. And most were often granted the ability to be free. And many that were born into it, history tells us, could achieve that freedom 
by the age of 30 at the latest. So we want to, to, to see this is different. This is not United States chattel, kidnapped slavery that we're talking about. And so that anyone would want to come to you and say, I don't believe the Bible because I read Ephesians 6 and it affirms slavery. It's like, we're not, we're not talking about the same thing here. At the same time, though, we also want, we don't want to go too far. We do realize that this, this is talking about a situation of enslavement. People were owned. People were called to obedience. There could be abuse. And even in first century slavery in the Greco-Roman world, there was abuse. That's why this text is here. And so we need to see, because many people would say, well, why doesn't Paul skip all this and just say, if you're a Christian master, free your slaves. If you're a Christian slave, escape. We need to, we need to just wrestle with the fact this was something altogether different. Many would say, no, I, I'd, I'd like to stay in this situation. But a few other things that just need to be said before we move on is that this is in the context of a biblical vision of the full personhood of every person in creation. If you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, although we have a different context, a different type of, of enslavement as we see here, is that the Bible from first to last affirms the full dignity and personhood of everybody in the creation of the world. In James chapter 3, it says, Why do you bless your why do you curse your brother who was created like you in the image of God? In Galatians 3:28, Paul says, In Christ there is no slave nor free. In 1 Timothy 1:10, as it lists off this list of people that are living in unrepentant sin who are not a part of the kingdom of God, we, we sometimes miss it says there those who forcibly enslave other people enslavers are not a part of the kingdom of God those who would kidnap and enslave someone we see this call to mutual respect even within this first century context in the text today and in 1 Corinthians 7 21 we see Paul saying if you can't get out of this situation you need to live as unto the Lord but if you are able to gain your freedom do so so we're not and nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, as we read this here, in the Bible period, do we see the okayness or condoning of kidnapping people, forcing them into slavery, calling them three-fifths of a person, and then cruelly treating them if they don't do what they're told. So we, we just need to see that we're not talking about the same thing, but at the same time, we need to be very clear that the Bible and we as God's people do not condone any, any vision of any type of relationship where another person is treated as property. And this is in the history of our country, and it has effects today. Many of us, when we hear phrases like this or talk of issues like this of race, one of the first responses is, well, I didn't own any slaves, so why are you mad at me? I didn't force out the Indians, so why are you mad at me? Well, I think, it's, I think a better and more humble approach would us to say, not lead with that, say, yeah, I didn't do that, but that really stinks. That is horrible. I hate 
that much of our United States economy was built on the backs of slave labor for all of those years. I hate it. And I want to resolve to just acknowledge that and resolve to never act like that's something that I just need to get over. I want to grieve that. And I want to call myself and God's people to a bigger vision of what it means to affirm. And this starts not only with those issues, but just in how we relate with one another. And so we'll move on to where we really want to focus this, mother, this morning in the relationships that we have when we think of the workplace. So if we want to embrace all of our life as worship and we want to embrace work as worship, then we've got to submit our relationships in our work, whether that be in home, whether that be at our jobs, whether it be in our schoolwork, whether that be in the life of the church, to Jesus as Lord. And we have a template for it here in God's Word. And first is we have this call to servants, or we might say employees, or we may say workers as we apply it to ourselves today. What does it look like for servants, for workers, for employees to submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ in the workplace and in the relationships that they live in as they work. Well, first off, we need to see this, what we saw when it came to children, is they're addressed. This is huge. We've seen this when it comes to wives and relationships to husbands, children in relationship to parents, and now servants or slaves in, in, in relationship to their parents. In the first century, this was very subversive. This was not the way you did things. You just talked to the men who were in charge and told them what to do and said, you go tell everybody else what they're supposed to do. But Paul here, in this, in this, this just beautiful thing, he's actually addressing every person regardless of class, regardless of position, regardless of gender, and he is saying, you are important. You are important enough for me to talk to directly. The Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, don't buy the lie that you have to have a second-handed relationship through some, under, some other authority figure to hear the word of the Lord to you. So he's not downplaying roles and responsibilities, but he's also not in any way, in any way downplaying the dignity of a person and their equality in the people of God. They're addressed, but also they're called to live under the supreme lordship of Christ. So we see this again and again. How are they to, to, to relate? As you would to Christ. How are they to do so? As bondservants of Christ. How are they to, to think about their work? Doing the will of God. How are they to render service? As to the Lord. Everything is shaped around saying, my primary relationship when I do any job is not to whoever has the title of boss over me, not to whoever is leading this project, but again, whether it be at home, whether it be at school, it's not my professor. It is to the Lord. And when the Lord is supreme in my heart, and in my work and in my relationships, then now I'm free to give respect to those who are in authority over me, regardless of, at times, how much I'd rather just punch them in the throat. 
This is what it means when it says obey your masters with fear and trembling. This phrase, fear and trembling, if you were to, to study it throughout God's word, it's not saying, you, you know, you're cowering around, you know, shaking. What do you want me to do next? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that was used just to speak of a, of a serious respect that you give people. That you, you, you give respect to the role that God has given them in your life and in this area. But also you do this from a heart of worship. Notice again, not to be done, verse 6, by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this assignment I've been given at work. Or I'm going to do this task that needs to be done at home. I'm going to write this paper that my professor's calling me to write. And I'm not going to figure out what is the least that I can do that they'll see and I get by. But I'm going to do this unto the Lord. And I'm going to trust that if nobody else sees it, and if nobody else acknowledges me, if nobody else appreciates me, if nobody else rewards me, I'm not going to go pout. I'm not going to say, well, I guess I'll just do like everybody else does here around this house or in this workplace or in this class and just do the least that I can because it doesn't matter. You do so because you realize that the Lord is watching and all that you do will, you will receive back from the Lord is your the, He is your Lord, and He is your reward. This is how we turn our work into worship. But also, there's a word here in verse nine to masters, employers, or we may say leaders. How are they to relate? And again, this would this would have been paradigm shifting. Masters, do the same to them. This, that may not sink into us in our culture, but that would have been just mind-blowing. They could have did whatever they wanted to their, to their workers, to their slaves. It says, you know all that I just told you about how to treat, they're to treat you? You do the same to them. You treat them with respect. You treat them with equal worth. And you don't do it so other people can see it. You do it as unto the Lord. You don't say you care about safety, or you don't say that, that, you, that you care about uh, hearing people's voice, suggestion box, just so that when somebody higher up from corporate or whatever shows up, you can say, oh, we like work, you know, we, we, we care about people here. No, you do it as unto the Lord. You motivate people. How do you motivate those who are under you, whether, whether it's leading in the home, whether it is at the workplace, whether it's at school, whether it's in, in areas in the life of the church? You don't do it by threatening. Stop threatening. And you do it all under the ultimate lordship of Christ, knowing that it is he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In our workplaces, in our areas, we might have the 
the good old boys club or the good old girls club where the leaders or bosses have kind of said, hey, we're going to get each other's back here and we're going to cut corners and we're going to mistreat people who are under us. But the same master of the worker is the slave, the employer is the same master of the masters. And he is impartial. People in our world and in the workplace may be treated as if they're of different worth because of different titles and positions, but not in the Lord's eyes. I remember, I may have shared this story with some of you guys, when I was in a, a job for a season that was really hard and really early in the morning, and I worked with a bunch of people who really got on my nerves sometimes, was unloading boxes. And this is what I did, just for like, four hours most of the year and for like seven to eight hours every morning for November and December. And you're, un, you're just in the back of this truck as fast as you can doing this. And there's, there's some person, I'm gonna, man, I was about to say inappropriate word, uh, who's just smarting off, just yelling at you, telling you to hurry, making fun of you because they have some type of seniority and I remember this guy turning his head and I grabbed the box and I just threw it at him as hard as I could. Just hit him. Of course, he didn't know where it came from because there's chaos that's going on. And, I, and honestly, in just a moment, just felt so, so good. And then a, a boss was there who could be at times even more aggravating. And I remember just kind of losing it and throwing it at him too but thankfully I missed thankfully it was a bad throw it's just like this is all these things you guys mentioned earlier this feels so unimportant this feels so mundane I mean for three years as fast as you can right delivering to people who have a QVC addiction and you're just like what what is the point and I don't need somebody making fun of me while I do it or telling me to do it faster. And I just remember having many Johnny Paycheck moments. Y'all know who that is. But I, I needed the insurance, right? We needed insurance. It's another corrupt part of the system of the workplace, but anyway. And later I just remember the Holy Spirit just convicting me First off, to go and confess and ask forgiveness from the guy I hit with the box, which is really hard to do. And it didn't happen fast. I'm not trying to glorify myself. Obviously, I'm the guy who hits people in the back of the head with boxes, so no glory there. But ultimately, I was convicted by, by this. This isn't the first time I've read this or taught on this, but when I actually had to live it out, it was a lot harder to begin to say, I'm going to unload boxes as unto the Lord. This is going to be offered as worship unto God. Nobody here cares. Everybody here is doing the least that they can do to get by. But what would it look like me to, to say, Father, this is for you. I just had to repent. It didn't make anything easier. 
but it begun a journey to make work into worship and not just about getting a paycheck. Maybe some of you are in a similar place and you just maybe need to repent this morning of disconnecting your work from worship. Disconnecting your every, where you spend, whether you like it or not, probably 8 to 12 hours a day of your life from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, it still happens to me. Even as I was preparing this sermon on this, at a certain point, I, I just felt the Spirit just uh, reminding me what I was doing was just trying to come up with a good product for this Sunday morning. It was more about me getting this done so I could go do something else I was wanting to do that afternoon instead of actually doing it before the Lord for His glory. Now, that may sound sick to you that a pastor could do that in preparing a sermon, but I can do that. And I need Jesus. We need to be resolved to see that whether it feels meaningful what we do at our jobs, our home, or in life, is that God has you there. And what you're doing matters to Him. It matters to Him where you're at right now. So many of us are living in the future. Well, if I just get through this, then when I get there, then it'll be worship. But God is worthy of our worship now. He wants us to be people who give our lives for His glory in the relationships that we have. To not consider it to be a, a cool or noble thing to be that subversive employee at work. If you're not that person, you know that person who's like, I'm going to be the one who's disrespectful and cuts corners and, you know, gets by with stuff and is always sticking it to the man. You know, that might earn you some brownie points in the break room but it doesn't bring glory to God. And then as leaders, to be the one who, who values people, who does unto others as you would have done unto you, who motivates people, not with threats, but even when you do have to make hard, hard decisions and call people to hard things, you do so honestly. You do so with integrity, and you do so as unto the Lord. Now, this is hard. This is hard because this is where we live most of our life. It's a lot easier for, us to, for me to come in here and say, here's how to have a better devotion, because you can do that in 15 minutes, right? Or 20 minutes, or 5 minutes. But what we're talking about here is submitting all of our lives to Jesus, submitting our work to Jesus and so we've got, to, we've got to live into this, but the only way we can live into this is not by us just saying, I'm going to do better and try harder, is we've got to be honest about our sin, but we've got to even more have a clear vision of our Savior. We've got to submit not merely our workplace relationships to the Lord and not merely our work to the Lord, but we have to be people who are continually submitting our whole selves to the Lord, not focused on what we've done, but what He's did for us. Many of us in here, when it comes to this issue of work, if we're honest, we think work is a bad thing I just need to get over with to get to the weekend. No doubt some of you think work is a necessary evil so I can go on vacation sometimes. Work is a necessary evil so that I can just get paid. Everybody's working for the weekend. But God says our work is a gift. God says it matters. There's others of us in here who fall off the other side 
into the other ditch. So you're like, I love to work. And your work isn't about serving the God of comfort. Your work becomes a God itself that you use to define you and to give you your identity. And you base who you are on how well you perform and how much you succeed in. And what God is saying to you is now you've turned work itself into what you worship. And there's others of us who say work is fine as long as I get to be God. So I'll quit a job whenever it's not fun or not fulfilling. As if the work itself is to be what we find our fulfillment in instead of the God of the work. But as we look to Jesus this morning and all of our sin and all our rebellion when it comes to work, we see someone who leads the way for us. And we see someone who pays the way for us. If you look into Jesus' life, what we see is the perfect worker. He's the, he's the perfect express image of his father, after all, who is the one whose great work brought this whole universe into being. Who created the earth and worked and then rested. He's the one who became a servant. And look at the people he had to work with. If you're ever at work and you're thinking, golly bum, how did I get stuck with these idiots? Look, just read the Gospels and read about Jesus' disciples. And also go look in the mirror. <laughs> he chose to work with them. He chooses to work with us. He didn't worship his work, but he submitted his work to the Lord. And he talked about the mission the Father that given him and he called it work he said I'm here to accomplish the work that the father has given me to do and his ultimate work was to go to the cross and to die in the place of us comfort idolaters who just want to get work over with so we can do what we want and also for us performance idolaters who want to find our identity in our work and he covered us so we don't have to hear this high call today and walk out with our heads hung low saying, I just stink and I can't ever do this. No, he's did it perfectly for you. But the Jesus who gave his life for us this morning is not still in a grave. But in his great work, he was brought forth in resurrection. A resurrection that's not merely to get us into the sky, but a resurrection that actually is to lead us in the life that we were created to live from the very beginning. A life not just of a worship that we think of as singing songs or bowing our heads in prayer, but a work that is bringing about a renewal and a restoration of all things in creation for His glory who gives us his spirit to now empower us to go into our places of work or to complete work tasks in our home or to lean into the roles that we're given in the life of the church and to not do it as if, oh man, I've got all this stuff to do and well, it's just so bad and you know, it's just, I'm just so, so sick. I just wish I was on a beach somewhere all the time. Maybe that's just how I feel sometimes but to say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can work in this monotony with meaning. 
I can work in these imperfect relationships with Jesus as the center and not my circumstances. I can work as unto the Lord. And when we can work as unto the Lord, guess what? Nobody can change that. Nobody can mess with that. They can try. The enemy can try. But he can't take Jesus off his throne. Your boss who's annoying can't take Jesus off his throne. Your employees that are annoying, they can't take Jesus off their throne. Your tasks that seem so overwhelming, they can't take Jesus off the throne. The story was told of three men who were at work on a large building project, and someone asked them, what are you doing? I'm mixing mortar, one said. The second man said, I'm helping put up this great stone wall. But the third man replied, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Through the power of the Spirit, this is how God's calling you to see where you work. And if you don't, you're going to live a miserable Christian life. Your life's always going to be about what I got to get over with so I can actually get to my life. But there's good news that may not sound like good news for you. That is your life. This is your life. God doesn't want you to spend 40 to 50 hours a week just miserably getting a task done. If you're a mechanic, be a mechanic to the glory of God. If you're a receptionist, be a receptionist to the glory of God. I'm going to work for God today. If you're a homemaker, be a homemaker for the glory of God. I'm going to herd these cats and, and fight this chaos today because I serve a God of order, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it imperfectly, but I'm going to do it for Him. If you're a student, I'm going to write this paper for the glory of God. I'm going to study for this test for the glory of God. Regardless of what grade I get, regardless of what my other friends are doing that looks more fun, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. If you're an office manager, a nurse, a line worker, a salesman, a barista, a bus driver, a lab worker, a pastor, a whatever, an empty nester. When people say, what are you doing? Whatever you say, however you respond, doing it is worship to the glory of God. Because Jesus hasn't just come to change our Sundays, but our everydays. And he will be with us. Father, we thank you that you are with us. And we pray now, God, that you would help us to believe that our everyday work matters to you. That you would give us wisdom and how to make our work worship. How to live from making beds to sending emails, evaluating projects, 
to realize it matters to you whether we're sharing the gospel with anybody when we're doing that or not. To help us to do everything for your glory. And God, we thank you for your son. We just lived his life in your presence before you, regardless of what other people thought of him. And we thank you that he went to the cross to cover our laziness or our workaholism our selfishness. And we thank you now that we get to come to his table where we get to again taste and see that it is finished. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.